So we're back for our first podcast with the GU Fellows uh, with GPPR. Uh, I'm Jake Ford, Editor-in-Chief. Uh, thank you all so much um, for attending. We're really excited to have this conversation. We're really appreciative of your very valuable time. Um, with me is Disraeli and Catherine. Disraeli is our interview editor, and Catherine is the managing editor at GPPR. Um, if, if if I may, can, can we just go in a circle and just quickly, just for the sake of the listeners, uh, your name um, and kind of your, your focus and what you're hoping to get out of your time at Georgetown. Sorry, Ron. <laughs> sure. Uh, my name is Ron Bonjean. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a Republican strategist, basically, and a partner at Rock Solutions. I worked in Washington for about 25 years and uh, in, in both the House, Senate, and in the administration. Um, and the topic of my discussion group is going to be uh, the big question, which is I think on everyone's minds is, are we at a tipping point in politics? Um, are we in a new, no is this the new normal, or will the standard political gravity take us back to earth? The relationship between Congress and the White House, the relationship between politicians and the media, um, polling, crisis management, um, you know, a number of these issues are, uh, you know, are in question right now. Well, where we all stand in, in, in Washington mm -hmm. and, um, what, and the conventions that we've been uh, working with for years no longer apply. And so uh, we'll be exploring a variety of topics underneath that theme. Okay, yes, Great. Thank you. Great. Uh, Patrick Murphy uh, served in the Congress from 2012 to 2016, ran for the Senate unsuccessfully, unfortunately. Uh, so I'm going to talk about my experience um, as uh, a millennial running for office and then serving in the Congress as the youngest member, uh, try to give that behind the curtain uh, look at what it's really like, the fundraising and the gerrymandering and all the sort of nonsense that goes into it. Because uh, I know there's a lot of people out there, especially here, you know, on this campus interested in running for office one day. So I want to give them that sort of honest take that someone never gave me, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, kind of behind the curtain, then what it's, what it's like once you're there, you know, the good and the bad, the ugly, all that. Uh, then I want to talk about some millennial-oriented issues. I have a, a small foundation called the Future Forum Foundation. That's all about connecting millennials um, to businesses, to elected officials, to address issues that are affecting millennials that aren't being discussed on the Hill right now. Uh, student debt, somewhat discussed, but really no progress on it. Uh, automation, the sharing economy, um, uh, you know, where is the future of jobs in 10 to 15 years from now? Are we going to put ourselves out of work? Computer learning and everything else. So talk about that and what the students now think about that. Uh, I want to talk about Congress then and now, right? 30 years ago, 40 year, years ago, what was it like first now? And what can we learn from then? And what needs to come back? Uh, I point to six structural problems that I think are the most important things we address uh, that I could argue are even more important than the issue themselves. Because if you don't f fix those structural problems, it almost doesn't matter the issue because it can be applied across the board. Mm. Uh, so talk about that a little bit. Uh, talk about social media, its impact, right, with um, you know the students as they think about running for office, uh, things they should probably be cognizant of before they do it. Um, and I have one uh, discussion group on national security, on intelligence, uh, but not just uh, my experience on the Intel Committee, but talk about what the students think will be happening with the Intel Committee because it's evolving so quickly because of technology. Mm -hmm. Try to incorporate that and get their ideas there. So really interested uh, to learn to hear you know, uh, their thoughts on it because even though there's you know, I don't know, 12, 
13 years or whatever, probably age difference in a lot of the students that are going to be there with me, huge difference in, in uh, their aptness for social media, for computers, the way they learn, uh, the way they see the world. Uh, so really interested to hear and, and learn from them on that and what they see uh, and how they see government changing, uh, whether that's how they vote, how they um, take in media, how they take in information, uh, or how they, they share that information online. So really interested for that two-way conversation. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, my name's uh, Mike Dubke. Uh, I guess my claim to fame is that I was uh, White House Communications Director uh, in the uh, Trump administration. Uh, I am also a founding partner of the BlackRock Group, which is a strategic communications uh, firm. But my, my um, discussion group is going to be focused on what I'm calling the 24-minute uh, news cycle. Uh, we used to have uh, news cycles that were driven by the 630 uh, national evening news and then during the Clinton and the Bush administrations it was the 24-hour news cycle as to what was on uh, the, the cable nets uh, that day um, and now we jump from uh, tweet to tweet and uh, story to story uh, in, a, in an atmosphere that uh, much to what um, uh, Patrick was talking about, Ron was talking about, um, you know, is this the new normal? Uh, are we going to be, um, uh, is our news delivery going to get even quicker than 24 minutes? We'll take a look at a couple of quick things. Can you control the news cycle anymore? Can anyone control the news cycle? Even the president with the bully pulpit? Um, what is the power of uh, leaks? How do leaks uh, play into how the news cycle uh, moves to the Sunday shows, which used to be all important in Washington, D.C. They were the crown jewels. Do they even matter anymore? Uh, we'll talk about uh, social media uh, and, and, and its roles, celebrity surrogates, uh, who really matters uh, uh, when they're talking for an elected official. Does the elected matter anymore? Is it the, the celebrity? So um, we'll look at chirons. Are they the new headlines? Um, it used to be, and I'll, I'll, I'll be quick here. It used to be if you sat on a on a on a train. I know everyone's taking a deep sigh. <laughs> if you sat on a train uh, and uh, looked at the newspaper uh, that somebody was reading, most towns used to have two or three newspapers. You could tell what their political leanings were from which newspaper they picked up. Well, we can do the same thing by uh, looking to see uh, who's watching MSNBC or um, uh, you're a liberal, if you're watching Fox, you're a conservative, and if you're watching CNN, you're just plain confused. So we'll, we'll take a look at that uh, and, a, and, a, and a few other things. But since I said I'll be short, I'll end there. Thank you. I've never been the one to be accused of being brief, but I, I suspect <laughs> I will be the shortest of, of us all. Uh, Liz Sidoti, I'm the head of US Communications for BP, and prior to that, I spent 15 years covering politics um, in managing election coverage in White House and congressional coverage for the Associated Press. Um, my, the title of my discussion group series is Open for Business, uh, Corporate Engagement and Influence in Uncertain Times. And we will be looking at what I think is probably one of the most undercovered by the media, um, undercovered um, areas of politics and public service, and that's the role that corporations play. So corporations typically, when the coverage um, comes out on the role corporations play. It's all about big business and everything's evil and they're writing laws behind the scenes and that kind of thing. Um, and in reality, corporate influence right now is is it's a, it's a really tricky beast. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity to engage. And so one of the things I hope to 
provide um, the students is a better understanding of what goes on behind the scenes in business um, when we think about how do we influence public policy and politics and kind of the, the changing dynamic where the media environment, the fact that everyone can be a publisher, um, the fact that millennials who um, who are going to be the consumer base for every corporation out there, the primary consumer base for, for decades to come, um, they're demanding that corporations speak out on issues and have values and engage in a different way. We'll look at DACA and we'll look at um, how did corporations um, in a real time, how, how are they engaging in the process? And many of them don't want to, but they're being forced to because their consumers want them to speak out. We're going to look at shareholder revolts and consumer boycotts and the um, balancing that corporations have to play between alienating certain parts of their constituencies. Um, I also, what I hope to help students see is that there are other ways to be involved in the, um, the public policy process and politics without necessarily running, um, running for office or, or you know, starting a firm, that you can actually go within a company and, and do good work and influence the, the, the process. Um, and then I hope to get out of it um, a uh, more optimistic view of the world. Uh, already in one, yeah, I, already in one, um, in one day on campus, I was just struck by how um, you all have the answers. You know, we are we're all stuck. And Mo likes the director of the program likes to say that you know, um, he's he he and his class and our class screwed up the process of politics and public service, and, and that you all will fix it. And you know, I sort of get that sense already. So I'm really excited as we work through trying to figure out how to how does business interact with public policy and and public service and politics to. Um, to figure out new ways of doing things. Uh, my name is Marie Harf. I, in my almost 12 years in DC, have worked primarily in the national security and foreign policy space. I was for six years a CIA officer and then went to the 2012 re-election campaign for Barack Obama where I ran his national security policy, and then spent four years at the State Department with John Kerry as his spokesperson and his senior advisor for communications. So over those that decade, my whole goal and sort of my mission has been to convince people that foreign policy and national security are political issues back here at home. I think a lot of us, I mean, my academic background is in foreign policy and we were always taught in school that, you know, domestic politics is something that stops at the water's edge. It's not something we have to worry about as foreign policy experts. And then on the political side, you're often taught you don't need to worry about how foreign policy impacts voters because they don't really care. And while it's not the economy or jobs, although it's often linked to the economy, um, I think that they actually really are linked and they do matter. So over the course of the discussion group, we're going to look at a number of different topics, things like trade, climate change, Iran, Israel, refugee policy, all things that I, uh, I argue and will sort of puzzle through how um, they have become political issues, issues back here at home. And, um, you know, Donald Trump ran on things like building a wall with another country, which is a foreign policy issue. The immigration issues he talked about, um, a lot of these are, are real, straddle both worlds. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I'm really excited um, to get students, for example, from the School of Foreign Service who might be interested in learning about how some of these things actually do matter to voters, because I think they do and I think they should. So that's been my whole mission and I'm looking forward to bringing it here. And. Um, from the students what they think. Fantastic. Well, yeah, thank you all so much.
Um, and in, in the spirit of uh, the GU Fellows Program, which they always kind of style as leading professionals going back to school, if you could, going back to your undergraduate selves, change one thing that you <laughs> did, a class you would take, if you, if you were transported to Georgetown University right now, what would you do differently? Who wants to start there, guys? <laughs> I, I, I will. I, I would get accepted. I was waitless. <laughs> so I'd go, that's, I'd go back Mike's son is a freshman here, though. Oh, there you go. Congrats. Yeah. Yeah. Bittersweet. Not, not, not that we were competing against each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'll, I'll start. Um, I would have focused more on business. It, it's only something that I've appreciated the older I've gotten and the, the deeper I get into um, you know, going past journalism mm -hmm. and into sort of the way the world works. Is I sort of, I sort of feel like and I don't have a graduate degree I don't have a business degree of any kind and and I feel like um, this has been going back to school for me I transitioned from being a journalist to being in the corporate environment about four years ago and it's like real world graduate school level stuff um, and yet there's a baseline that I I. I think I'd be a better reporter previously if I really understood, oh, you know, economics and business <laughs> and basic balancing a budget and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I just think the practical piece yeah, um, of the way the world works, I think I was highly focused on journalism and a liberal arts-based education in history and what have you, but then you get out and you realize, no, there's some skills I could have picked up back then. On that note, I would say do as many internships and take as many sort of job opportunities, whatever it is, it's fancy or not fancy, um, so you get an opportunity to diversify your sort of portfolio. And if you think you're, you know, set on being a journalist, but then all of a sudden you yeah. go and you do an internship at, you know, X, Y, and Z come, you might all of a sudden say, wow, I really like this. This is something I never would have thought of in 100 years. Nothing my family does or anybody I know, but I really like it. And then with that sort of broader base of knowledge, I think gives you an opportunity to kind of follow your heart more. And I knew in college, I did business school, I did finance and accounting, because that's kind of what I was advised to do, and it made sense, and it seemed safe, and, you know, figure it out. Um, but then you get out there, you start working, you start kind of finding your own way a little mm -hmm. bit. If I could have done that four or five years earlier, to be really able to follow your heart, because at the end of the day, that's what it's about, being passionate about something and, and doing the best at it. You will be successful if it's what you enjoy doing. And then work isn't work. Work is something you enjoy. So broaden your base really. I agree. I think, you know, I really, uh, my senior year, I was very involved, but I wish I would have would have been more involved earlier in some internships and more writing. I wrote for the student newspaper, uh, the Badger Herald, at the University of Wisconsin Madison, um, and I interned for. Nice shout out. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. You know, I interned for the the uh, the, con the congressional district office. Mm -hmm. And I did all kinds of things uh, during that last year because then I had to focus on that I was graduating and going right. off into the real world. And I wish I would have just gotten a little bit more of a head start there. Um, but other than that, it was great. <laughs> so at GPPR, each year we have a theme that we focus on that kind of revolves around uh, how we focus our articles, but also the professionals we bring in to write some of our academic pieces. Last year was disruption which they picked before the election that actually ended up being wow. incredibly apt. Mm -hmm. um, so this year we picked uncertainty. 
And I think there's a fantastic opportunity to get an insider's view on the communications and the public face um, in, in the political world. So for all the fellows, can you speak to the difficulties and the challenges uh, of being a public face or in communications for either a person, a specific person, or a corporation? I've always been curious to what degree of familiarity is required um, with the subject to know they have a certain amount of uh, uh, just bond to know that uh, his or her mind or a corporation's mission. Yeah. So can you can you kind of just touch on the, the difficulties and the, the unique kind of challenges in that role? So uh, I'm going to start and talk from a corporate perspective, mm -hmm. and a business the business perspective, because um, you know communications is all about managing risk, mm -hmm. and it's about and business is about certainty. Right, stock market likes certainty and predictability, and companies like certainty and predictability, where they can plan, you know, for for years out and, and many different quarters out. And the confluence of the news media and how it's changed, and the definition of who is a publisher and who's not, mm -hmm. and fake news, and you know, a president who, um, you know, tweets on a whim, right? A broken Congress. All that, all that makes for an incredibly unpredictable and uncertain environment. And so corporations really need to understand who they are and what they believe now more than ever um, so that they can, when you think about the communication risk, risk matrix, they can kind of pick the least risky option. Um, but it's always going to be highly difficult in this environment to engage in a communications way where you're not alienating a certain audience, piece of the audience, because the audience has become so bifurcated. It's not just about your consumer base anymore. It's and like who buys your product, right? It's about, or just or just about shareholders, but it's about who do you have public partnerships with, um, and what could your stance on a certain issue, um, what could that affect that partnership, right? There's just a host of different mm -hmm. audiences instead of just the shareholders or just the consumers. And I think that um, one of the things we learned in 2016 was how voters and, and consumers and people consuming media really did crave authenticity. Mm -hmm. I mean, say what you will about Donald Trump's Twitter feed, I can't other think of another politician that voters could hear directly their thoughts put out there to them. And I obviously, as a Democrat, don't always like that he does this, but I think all of us who are communicators in politics have learned that like the standard do least amount of harm, just you know lowest common denominator public reaction to something wasn't going to break through anymore. When you have politicians who are like Donald Trump, who are sort of mega communicators and who, I mean the authenticity piece, I really think that people were craving from Washington and didn't feel like in the normal communications way they were getting that from you know the statements we all write put them out, you know, through press releases, it just wasn't breaking through. Mm -hmm. And so for all of us who've been communications professionals for principals, like John Kerry or Donald Trump or Speaker of the House, um, that is a new challenge, mm -hmm. right? That like, John Kerry is never going to be Donald Trump on Twitter, but how can someone like that be a public, thank God, right, I would argue, um, but how can someone like that be in the public space, influence how people think, when the bar has really been raised in terms of authenticity and engagement with voters and direct messaging, right? I mean, 
He really did revolutionize how we do this. And Donald Trump will never be uh, John Kerry on a, a wave surfer either. Thank God. Just leave that visual out there for a while. Oh, God. Cover pick. I think I were on podcast. I mean, we should not be surprised that disruption breeds uncertainty. Right. So mm -hmm. I think your two, you know, semester to semester, year to year themes make total, total sense. Uh, and no one should be surprised about the period of uncertainty that we're that we're in right now when the American public voted for a disruptor in chief. Uh, right. That is the one thing that, uh, you know, Donald Trump uh, promised and he is full, uh, fully delivering on, mm -hmm. on that promise. So we are in a period of, of uncertainty. And to Liz's point about corporations needing to know what they believe in their core values, mm -hmm. I think that also applies to our politicians today. Yeah. Uh, on Capitol Hill, you need to know what you stand for yeah. in order to survive these, and it, I, you'll be listening to this later, but we've got Irma bearing down on Florida right now. So these Category 5 winds coming out of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue that are going towards uh, Congress, you need to know what you stand for in order to be able to deal with that. So that level of uncertainty, we're going to have that probably at least through this Congress. I predict we're going to have this through the 2018 elections. Mm -hmm. And um, it's very important for our public institutions, our, our public figures, and our, our private corporations to, uh, to take a good look at themselves uh, and make sure they understand what they stand for. Yeah, so I, I don't want to cut you guys off, but I know we have to get you to your next thing. We so. would talk forever. So uh, we know. <laughs> so fortunately, there are a lot there. And competitive. And competitive. Fortunately, you have handlers outside of us because we will let you talk all the whole time too. Um, so we want to just thank you guys uh, for speaking with GPPR um, to talk a little bit about uncertainty to talk a little bit about your discussion groups. We encourage all of our listeners to attend the discussion mm -hmm. groups uh, with each of our fall fellows. Uh, we wish you much success as you learn some things here uh, at Georgetown during the fall. Thank so, you. Thanks, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of the GPPR podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. For more content from the Georgetown Public Policy Review, check out our website at www.gppreview.com, our Twitter at GP Policy Review or our Facebook GPP Review. Thank you.